Hello and welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast and also if you're watching on YouTube you are very welcome indeed. So today I'm talking to Penny Raybigger and she wrote an article in this issue of Primary First which is issue 29 um, and I just thought this is going to be really good as we start to focus more and more on articles which are in our journal um, to have a bit of a a bit of a behind the scenes idea of the people that wrote them and a bit more of an in-depth conversation about what they were about. So Penny, thank you very much for being here. Thanks very much for having me. So why don't we start with that kind of contextual background in terms of the sorts of work you do in the organisations you're involved in first and then we'll we'll move on into the article itself. Okay, great. So um, I was a teacher for over 10 years. I taught in primary and secondary schools in Jerusalem in Israel. Um, and since coming back to the UK in 2007, um, I've been working with uh, organisations in the education space. So the key for school leaders, challenge partners, and I'm currently working for an organisation called Lifter. Um, and I'm also one of the co-founders and trustees of an organization called the BAME-ED Network. And I also am a coach for the Anti-Racist Schools Award that's run by Leeds Beckett University. I'm a chair of governors and I am also on a trust board of a primary multi-academy trust. So wow. never bored. No, I'm gonna say not, not a lot of free time <laughs> around there, it's okay. Um, so, the article was um, entitled, Does Teaching Racial Justice and Equity Have a Place in Our Primary Schools? What did that mean for you? Why that title and, and why was that important? Well, I guess um, because of my involvement in um, organisations that are about social justice and about equity, um, I think I, I'm interested in the the line between social justice and equity being a, a sort of arena for adults and for adults to kind of, especially in the education sector for teachers and for leaders to think about their progression through the profession and what barriers they might face potentially because of their protected characteristics. But also um, I think that there is a place for children to know about racial justice and equity and I think it's a place where teachers and schools generally may feel some anxiety about how you do that well and whether they should be doing it and what examples there are of it being done well. So I guess my reason for wanting to write that article was to kind of set out some of the difficulties maybe or some of the anxieties but also to show some examples of where this is happening as part of the curriculum. And the thing which struck me as I read it was the fact that almost hand in hand you had the teachers and the students and how how it affects them obviously both differently because of their different points in their lives but also how it sort of becomes a whole because we're all involved in these organizations together. I think teachers can't really lead on it unless they have a good grounding themselves and and I think the nature of teacher training means that teachers especially younger teachers don't really have a good grounding so they all tend to avoid dealing with it and I think certainly um, you know recently with the sort of questions that students and their families were asking around Black Lives Matter, around that agenda, 
sort of took some schools by surprise and they realized that they would have to think about this a little bit more deeply and try to understand what their position is. So I, I think my interest is always about getting it right because you can teach anything, you know, um, but getting it right so that the teacher doesn't feel out of their depth and the students feel that it's empowering is really important. And do you get the impression that the, the getting it right in inverted commas is that different depending on on the school or the organization and their beliefs or or their sort of value set is there a sort of a, a different right depending on where you're starting from i think i think there is and i think it also depends on what kind of protected characteristic you're thinking about or what you mean when you're talking about equity um, you know in terms of racial justice I think it's really really charged especially at the moment and there is a there's a kind of tension between maybe the surge of interest following the murder of George Floyd and the kind of interest in Black Lives Matter movement and some of the messages from government around what is acceptable and where the boundary lies between teaching about injustice and being impartial. So there was, yeah, there was quite a lot of pushback, I think, and there still is pushback around what, what a teacher's place is in equipping children to understand society and whether, whether even, you know, it's been mooted that even the concept of racial injustice could be political so that's a fine line for teachers to tread and, and it crept into the guidance for relationships sex and health education around impartiality and around which agencies schools could engage with to deliver parts of that curriculum so it became I think it became wrought with quite a lot of confusion and anxiety for schools because basically they they just wanted to tackle this issue that had happened and so so yeah I think there's there's quite a lot of uh, unpicking to do so for, for some schools it's a kind of like we don't go there and for others you know there are many many schools across the country and across the globe that teach um, rights respecting schools staff that teach philosophy for children that lean in more to a kind of critical thinking agenda um, or curriculum that want children to be questioning and there are others that maybe that's not part of their plan for children and I think for me especially around the, the time that we're talking about there there, there came the separation between are we doing um, an education tick box exercise? We're covering what we think we ought to or what we're being told to. And the fact that we were then talking about something which was very tangible and very real that people connected to on, a, on an emotional level, which maybe they hadn't in, in recent years. And I guess that then brings up the whole conversation about how this relates to me or how it relates to our society or our community that we're in. And when it becomes a, a real conversation about real people and real emotions, that's very different than just we're now covering this subject or this area within our school day. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, I was educated in the 
70s and 80s and and I I I feel like political education or sort of not even political education but like understanding understanding the difference between um like understanding how society is structured and that inequity is baked into society that I feel like that was kind of given to me as part of my education and you know taking sociology a level was the kind of formalizing of understanding about socialization so for me thinking about bias for example that's part of socialization I, I know about that I know that I am taught by society to value some things over and above other things and I know that part of that comes with bias and stereotyping so that I am taught by society that some people some races some classes are perceived to have more value in certain situations you know so I feel like yeah the maybe the more recent education hasn't included that knowledge as part of it so it is a bit of a surprise for people maybe they feel a bit mortified that they might be biased and that they might be complicit in some of the injustices and I guess that really the whole idea of institutional and sort of structural racism in, in terms of the idea of of what it is for it to be inherent that it just becomes I don't know perceived to be the norm as, a, as opposed to it being something which you can understand and see for what it is and actually understand the difference if that makes sense yeah and I think you know I know that as a woman I will possibly see and feel things that perhaps you as a man would not be hyper tuned to unless you had tuned yourself to it but I also know that as a woman I'm not born with a an inherent toolkit to feminism and I may you know I have two daughters I have probably said things to them that they would class as slut shaming you know just that kind of like oh are you going out wearing that I've you know I've enacted microaggressions <laughs> against them um I have probably done things that are not um make me not a good ally towards my female colleagues I just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I enact all of those things so you can see how much harder it is for for a man and I think the same with race you know as a white a person racialized as white I haven't had to really worry too much about these things so I'm going to have to push myself to be more awake alert and inclusive and I'm also going to have to push myself not to go down the route of personalizing it and going oh, but it's not me and it's other people so I think um, it is really important to, to understand the structural the systemic and move it away from you know racist not racist um, that kind of unhelpful dichotomy really yeah and I think that came through in the article it was that the sense that everything which is important in the discussion is in the gray and, and I guess that's really what you've just been saying in terms of it's that it's the areas where it's not obviously this or obviously that or you can see it this way and I can see it that way there, there, there's that conversation between sort of micro 
decisions and, and micro different situations which can could really change how that how that comes across i think i think it's also about being um I think one of the things we forget to do as a sector is to be learners and to be in the situation where you're unsure and you are worried that you might get it wrong or that you don't have enough knowledge yet. That's what learning is. And I think as practitioners, we're so frightened of being in that situation. And I think especially with race, we're really terrified of getting it wrong. So we'd rather not even go there. And that's really, really unhelpful. You know, I think one of the things that we're trying to do with the BayMed network is to help people to educate themselves. Our, our website is just a massive repository of every single way that you could learn about every single element in the way that suits you and works for you, um, because that's where you need to start. You need to start with learning. You need to start with kind of auditing where you're at and where you'd like to get to and then map out the path and just do it otherwise nothing will change yeah. and i think the same same with teaching children like where are we at where do we want them to get to and what kind of citizens are we trying to create and i, th I think the learning together idea is really important because i think what you said there is the key to so many things the idea of getting it wrong not wanting to ask not wanting to look a certain way by not knowing um, and and certainly is is a father of of three children that comes across more and more and more much better to keep my head down as a child don't ask don't don't put yourself out there don't feel like you don't know um, and and also you know as a as an educator myself it's you can understand it from that other side as well and I just think like I say it's a it's a never um, completing circle if we're all going to be in that position and we all have to be right all the time or we have to be the older person and the more knowledgeable person passing that on. Um, and and I guess our education system is such now through to the testing and everything like that, that it's about making sure that we do know to then move on to the next stage. And, and while that's inherently at the heart and the core of what we do, it's very different or difficult for that to be any different. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think we see it with the cancellation of the exams, um, the GCSEs and the A-levels this year. To what extent did young people turn around and say, well, that's OK, because I've learned so much over these last five years. And I think it's really sad that it's sad and it's it's a really true reflection of where we've got to young people do feel let down they feel like it was all working up to this point these exams and they've taken the exam so what what was I doing all of this for and so many young people my own included say I don't remember anything day after the exam it's as if somebody's wiped my hard drive there's nothing <laughs> that I'm taking with me and that makes me really sad because teachers work so hard you know and they really want children to succeed in life and I think we may have we may have lost in some ways we may have lost sight of preparing them for life and in other ways I think in the article I tried to give examples of schools you know these aren't the only schools there are thousands of schools that really do want children to inquire and to think and to fail in safe ways and to make mistakes and and to have social justice as part of their curriculum that they become citizens of the world they become they have a 
sort of driving collective moral purpose as well, which I think is, if there's one thing you can give to children in education, it's that sense of collective moral purpose, not I did this and I got that and I am going on to my next step. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing that always strikes me is the fact that we are, as educators and parents or anyone who's supporting children, um, whatever their age, we're all responsible in our own way. And the, the one thing we do know is the fact that, you know, I might be a fantastic parent and give them the chance to learn and, and learn with them and, and give them as much advice and and support as we can but I also might not be. So therefore, where does that come from? And it would seem to me that school and education kind of has to fill that gap for the people that don't have that. But I, but I guess it also the roles of them can be reversed as well. If you have a school that doesn't want to do that or doesn't want to go there or doesn't want to make that a, a big thing, you then hope that there's someone at home or someone supporting children that is are able to do that but I, I guess the thing is, is we don't know where those places are necessarily and we don't know what the situation is for anybody so I guess it's a kind of an amalgamation of the two is the only way that we can really support everybody. Yeah you know what we we tend to categorize social media as this kind of terrible thing and we've got to get children off TikTok and off Instagram and I can say unequivocally I think those are the places where children are learning so much about social justice and they are connecting with people who feel the same as them or people who don't and they take it upon themselves to re-educate their peers on some of the issues so so i think you know parents carers grandparents wider family sort of adults in general probably pay, play an important part of course schools do but I think also, you know, the messages that young people are consuming and producing, we shouldn't overlook those because they're really powerful. And do you think the whole pandemic and children and everybody learning remotely and having to be online in a positive way, you know, we want education to continue. So therefore everything went remote and everyone's doing an incredibly good job and the best they can but it does sort of look a certain way. It's a little bit like kind of we've taken school and tried to put it online rather than adapting what we're doing in this sort of new environment. But I think for me, the, the understanding that there is positivity on being online in terms of you can be educated, you can find things out, it is supportive, it is an opportunity, whether that's changing people's perceptions of, of social media within that kind of technology and online world, like you say, whereas before there was a lot of safeguarding, technology online can be bad, being in school is good from a safeguarding point of view, whether the fact that we've all been online so much and that COVID has sort of made that a bit more of a norm, whether that perception might be changing a little bit too, and therefore that will have a big, imp a big impact on everyone, especially our younger people that are on social media. I don't know. I don't know if um remote schooling and social media are connected at all um in that remote schooling is quite a controlled environment um it's not as far as i've experienced it it's not a kind of like if i think about in the 90s when i was teaching and i'd take all the 
kids down to the IT suite and I get them doing some kind of uh, web quest that I'd put together. I mean, it was mm. very basic, but then I would be sending them out into the world wide web to find stuff and I'd give them a broad project thing. That's not what, you know, home home learning is about at the moment. It's it's a very controlled environment. I think what really fascinates me is um, the, the kind of spectrum of expectations and hands-onness that there is. I mean, I've heard of children that have to be in full school mm. uniform. Um, I've heard of children that have to have a parent in the room with them while they're learning. Like, hello, I have a job, so they can sit next to me, but I'm going to be yammering on on the phone in the background and really distracting them. Um, you know, ch um, children who they have to have the camera on, children who have to have the camera off, staff where their union won't let them have the camera on, staff where their school is insisting they have to deliver a kind of stand up in front of a whiteboard lesson. So it, it's fascinating the kind of plethora of ways of doing this. And I really, really hope, wish and pray that we, somebody out there is gathering the evidence and looking at you know, not even what works, because that's so depressing, because whenever somebody talks about what works, I'm always like, what works for what? <laughs> you haven't defined what you mean by works, passing tests or learning something or both. Um, but I, I, I think it, there's, you know, we keep saying it's an opportunity. And I wonder if and when we ever go back to normal life, whether we'll just do a complete about turn and just go back as to business as usual i don't know it's interesting that nick gibbs now interested in you know uh it <laughs> using it in education when it was like a big no-no that's just a distraction yeah and i, and I guess um, it, you know it also brings up the kind of the haves and the have-nots idea in terms of just access oh, yeah. to devices and, and wi-fi and data and all of that and and space and human yeah. space i mean it's brought up so much if i think about the school where i'm chair of governors we know so much about our families now which is brilliant and some of our what we were kind of calling disengaged or not as engaged families which I, I don't like that term because I feel like that puts the onus on them when really it's probably something we're not doing quite right as schools but some of those families now are really really engaged really uh, in touch and doing everything they can they've feel for them they feel like oh at last we understand what you want from our children and what they're doing and of course we can help out with that so yeah so I think there's there's really interesting things that come from that also about physical space and where people live and I think you know people like me that have a home and everybody's got a laptop and their own room and we just truck along that's that's not the norm and that is pitched as kind of the norm and kind of ideal parenting and I think that's that's awful if that is the case yeah it certainly does put things in perspective I mean we're we're very lucky here in as much as we live in a village and one of the things that we were really grateful for is the fact that within a minute or two's walk we could be in the middle of countryside and that made a big difference in terms of our ability just to get out and to sort of get rid mm. of the cobwebs of everything that we were doing online but you're right about the physical space as well I mean we don't live in a small house particularly but every square inch is being used and every minute of every day is 
calculated for like you say because you need the recording space or you need the quiet space or you've been in this room all day so you should probably be in a different room and um and sort of like say the education and the working size and everything around and and it really makes you think because you know like say there are some people who have no devices at all or you know just sharing an iphone between an entire family and and for the expectations, I think that's the thing that strikes me is the expectation is still the same. You know, we're still continuing on. You're still going to do assessments. You're still going to do this. You're still, oh, you're not doing so well. But for for whose point? You know, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me that's come out of this is the fact that if you have a problem, let's, for example, if you've broken your leg, the expectation of what you might be able to run in next week's athletics competition is going to be different than it was a week ago when you were fit and we're in a pandemic. And therefore, surely the expectations of what we expect everyone to achieve, one should be different because the world is different. And also it should be varied to the point of where you are given the ailments that you have, if you want to call it like that, in terms of your ability to have a device or the situation or the learning environment and the support at home. Mm -hmm. yeah definitely definitely so if there was one place you'd like people to go and find out more about what it is that you've been doing and um and, and some places where they can get some great resources to carry on these kind of thoughts mm. where would you send people well i'm going to be greedy and send them to two places <laughs> <laughs> so one um i mentioned the bame ed network and um our website so that's just www.bameed.com network.com and there you will find not only resources but also um, we have a directory of um, diversity equity and inclusion specialists who can support schools that want to get you know some more uh, racial justice work running through the school um, we have on there a list of speakers so organizations that are organizing events often will end up with a kind of all white lineup because they don't know excellent people of color who are education specialists so we've kind of taken it upon ourselves to say don't worry we will sort that so there's hundreds of speakers on there um yeah that, and we run a series of events as well the second place um that i would send people to is i work for an organization called lifter and we are lucky enough to be uh, supported by British Council to be able to deliver CPD to teachers to help them to weave sustainable development goals, skills and values, diversity, social justice, all of those things into their curriculum in a really beautiful way. So it's through uh, what we call immersive story worlds. Imagine going on a 360 degree tour of different places around the globe. And within those places, you can meet people and the way you meet them is through three to six minute short documentary films where you meet a human being a real human being and discover just a little slice of their life um, so that uh, that's free training and then you get free access to the platform for a period of time and to go to that you'd go to um, lifter.com so that's l-y-f for freddie t-a.com and you'll find out about what we do there fantastic well penny thank you so much for 
sharing your time and and your expertise and and your knowledge and wisdom with us and um it's great to hear the voice and 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 hear beyond just the uh the the word on the page and that's really something that we we're going to try and expand and do more of as we as we speak to more people who've been part of primary first so thank you so much for being here thanks so much for having me it's been a real pleasure <laughs>